Well, before I start the sermon, I'd like to uh, send you guys greetings from my wife. She's in Utah preaching this weekend. She's in a city called Provo, and she's there serving a, a church this weekend. And uh, I want to also thank her for the decorations. I think she did a good job. So thank, thank you for, for allowing us to be blessed by her. So our Bible text for today is John 18. So let's open up the Bibles, John chapter 18, verses 15 and 16. So a few weeks ago, I was listening to my Bible app. It's called Bible.is. I don't know if you guys have downloaded it, but it's awesome because it has the Bible dramatized. So the, the people, when they talk, the voices change. If Jesus is by the sea, you can hear the, the sea. And, you know, just an amazing app. So I was listening to chapter 18. I was listening to chapter 18 and 19 that morning. And, uh, and I came upon these verses and said, here is the text for the next sermon in communion service. <laughs> All right. So John chapter 18, verse 15 and 16. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another what? Another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest. And went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the woman that was there keeping the gate, you know, spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. So, my sermon title for today is Leverage. <laughs> so, if you go to Dr. Google and look up the word leverage, there's several meanings. There's a finance meaning, there's, there's different stuff, but there's a meaning that has to do, do with society, a social meaning. It means to have influence person or a situation for a determined outcome. So, my sermon today is titled Leverage, and boy did Peter have some leverage. He was able to go into the court of the high priest where Jesus was going to be on trial. He wanted to be close to Jesus to be where all the action was, and this was made possible by that other disciple that was known by the high priest, and he brought Peter inside. That's called leverage. Now, let's do a quick review of what had transpired earlier that night. So the events of John chapter 18, we're not going to go through all the Gospels, just chapter 18 of John. So we see the betrayal and arrest in the garden, okay? So we see when Judas goes, betrays Jesus, and, and you know, and, and the arrest. John is the only one that actually says that not only were the officers of the law of the Jewish people there, but also a good group of Roman soldiers, which of course there was a lot of Roman soldiers, especially during the, the different feasts, like it was Passover time, so there was extra amount of soldiers to keep the peace. So in chapter 18, verse 1, we see Jesus entering the garden, verses 2 to 6, an arresting army confronts Jesus, and there's just incredible things that happen there, but we're not going to go into those details. Verses uh, seven, two to six, an arresting army confronts Jesus. Chapter eighteen, verse seven to eleven. Jesus willingly goes with the arresting army. And you know, here we have the incident where Peter cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. Remember that? And he wasn't going for the ear. No, he wasn't going for the ear. He was a clumsy, clumsy soldier, you know, because he had never been trained. You know, so so he got his sword on it. You know, I can't imagine having, I'm going to cut him right, just the ear. No, he was going for the head. But that didn't happen. So we have that incident there, and then starting in verse 12 to 14, we see Jesus on trial before 
Anas. Peter's denial, his first denial, that's in, in chapter 18, verses 12 to 14. Jesus is led away to Anas, and then in chapter 18, verse 15 and 16, the two disciples entered the courtyard. That's the verses that we just read. So we have the first denial, Jesus stands before Anas, and then in verse 24, Jesus stands before Caiaphas. So who was the, who was the high priest? Well, in a certain way, they both were. <laughs> Okay, the one that was recognized by the Jewish nation was Anas, but Caiaphas was placed by the Romans to be the high priest, and of course, Anas had finished his term. Some of his sons had been uh, high priests, but he was so influential that even one of the Gospels mentions that both of them were the high priests. I mean, that's how influential this guy was. So anyway, so we have him first with Anas, then we have him with Caiaphas, and in verse uh, 25 to 27, Peter denies Jesus two more times. Okay, two more times. And then, of course, at the end of the chapter, we have Jesus brought before Pilate. Okay, so a valid question. So here, here goes the question. Who is that other disciple that helped Peter get into the courtyard? Well, uh, well, this person is not identified, but traditionally, this person has been identified with the beloved disciple, which, of course, we understand that it's John the Apostle. But some contemporary scholars question this identification. For example, they say that, uh, you know, partly because the other disciple is not specifically called the beloved disciple, maybe it's not the beloved disciple. Or partly because most judge it unlikely that a fisherman from Galilee would have such ready access to the priest's uh, courtyard. You know, because it repeats itself twice. It says, and he was known to the high priest. Now, the word in Greek, known, is nostos, suggests more than just a mere recognition. It's, it's something more intimate. Okay, it's like, like a friend. Actually, the version, uh, the, you, you guys have heard a version called the 70? Or the Septuagint? That was the Greek Bible in Jesus' time that was translated to Greek from the original Hebrew. So there was a Bible in Greek in those days. Well, it actually refers to a close friend when it uses these terms. Like in Luke 2, 44, when, when they were looking for Jesus, remember when they lost sight of Jesus when he was a boy? And then they said they went among the relatives and friends to see if they knew where Jesus was. So it's, it's the same term that's used there. So, you know, the, some scholars think, well, it, it must have been something more or someone more important, you know, just not a nodding acquaintance. It's something different. Maybe an unnamed uh, Jerusalem disciple that was just unknown. But on the other hand, traditional identification should not be ruled out so quickly. Listen to this. The fourth evangelist does not hesitate to provide the names of other prominent inquirers and followers in Jerusalem, like Joseph of Arimathea, uh, Nicodemus. So, if it actually was someone so important, John would have mentioned the name of that disciple. Okay? The oblique manner of reverence, another disciple calls to mind the beloved disciple who is so regularly also unnamed. And this is more striking when we remember the close connection between Peter and John. Right? They, were, they, were, they were buddies. Now, we believe that the beloved disciple is John the Apostle. I found something interesting when I was doing my research. Contemporary social stratification is not necessarily relevant in the first century. In other words, if today a prime ministry, a prime minister 
uh, has the people that he knows is generally going to be people in his status, right? So a prime minister probably is not going to have a fisherman as a friend, okay? But in Jesus' time, that didn't matter much, okay? Uh, you know, there was no clear divisions among such lines in ancient Israel. Now, I do have something to tell you guys, is that John's father had a business. So I just want you guys to follow me. So John's father was a wealthy enough man. The Bible says that he had hired hands. He had some wealth. So perhaps a relative or two on the inside track in Jerusalem, and the connection between a Galilean fisherman and the Jerusalem high priest, well, it doesn't seem so far-fetched, right? Especially in the society where unlike, you know, in the Greek uh, culture, there was no barriers between a manual labor and educational or priestly roles. Now, the most competent recent evaluation of the evidence concludes that the other disciple is the di beloved disciple. Okay? And, and it's very interesting to notice how he was able to walk into the high priest's course without being questioned, he was able to speak to the servant girl attending the gate and ensure that Peter was able to enter. Now, for me, it's even more interesting what the book Desire of Ages says. Listen to this. After deserting their master in the garden, two of the disciples had ventured to follow at a distance. They were following the mob that had Jesus in charge. These disciples, Ellen White says, were Peter and John. The priests recognized John as a well-known disciple of Jesus and admitted him to the hall. Now listen, what was the purpose behind that? Hoping that as he witnessed the humiliation of his leader, he would scorn the idea of such a one being the Son of God. John spoke in favor of Peter and gained an entrance to him also. Leverage. In the court, a fire had been kindled, for it was the coldest hour of the night, right, right before dawn. A company drew about the fire, and Peter presumptuously took his place with them. He did not wish to be recognized as the disciple of Jesus. By mingling carelessly with the crowd, he hoped to be taken for one who had brought Jesus to the hall. I mean, that, just part of the mob, right? Now listen to this. But as the light flashed upon Peter's face, the one who kept the door cast a searching glance upon him. She had noticed that he came in with John. She marked the look of dejection on his face and thought that he might be a disciple of Jesus. So with that being clear, we know that John served as leverage to get Peter where? Into the courtyard. Well, as we can see, things didn't go well for Peter because he ended up denying Jesus how many times? Three times. Of course, that had been prophesied by Jesus already. Okay, that was not something alarming for Peter, but once it all happened and all came down, he, he understood that Jesus was telling the truth. Now, what draws my attention is that Peter went into the courtyard, but social distanced himself and not six feet. More than six feet. More than six feet. Matthew 26, 58 states that Peter followed Jesus from a distance and kept a distance. Bad idea. When we keep a distance from Jesus, we're going to mess up. 
Here we have Peter messing up because he decided to keep a distance from Jesus. He messed up just like we do often. And just review your life. When you mess up, it's usually because you have kept the distance from Jesus. And we don't have to go really far. Just, just go through the last week. The days that you don't have your devotional with Jesus, that you didn't spend that quiet time with God, things didn't go that well. So yes, you can come to church. Or you can do church online. You can return your tithes. You can even have a pretty good moral behavior. But then you find yourself given in to anger. Maybe mistreating a loved one. Or just going through the motions of being a Christian. Sometimes you get too sensitive. Sometimes bad thoughts invade your mind. What really prepared the way for Peter's great sin was sleeping when Jesus has specifically told him, watch and pray. But he had slept. And when we're not watching, when we're not praying, when we're not spending that quiet time, like I said, with God, things are going to get really out of hand. Our lack of prayer and Bible study not taking quiet time with God will definitely take us to deny our Lord. Now, imagine, even when we are close to Jesus and he does so many amazing things for us, we still slip. So imagine if we follow Jesus from a distance, that's going to get crazy. Now let's go back to the story. So according to John, Peter denies Jesus first to the girl that kept the gate. Okay, so if you read the story, he, that girl says, I, I think this guy is his disciple. She goes and confronts him. He says, no, I'm not, you know. And then uh, John says that then he denied the Lord to others. There was a group of people that went and confronted him and said, you are, you are a follower of Jesus. You're one of his disciples. But then I found it interesting that John actually says that the third time that he, uh, be, uh, he, he betrayed his Lord, it says that a close relative of the guy of whom he had cut the ear off, you know, the, the servant of the high priest, a relative of his that had been in the garden, he saw when Peter had cut that ear off. He said, you're one of them. And so he starts cursing, and he starts swearing. And the rooster crowed. Remember, the sermon is titled Leverage. So at this moment, how do we find Peter? After he denies his Lord, for the third time, when the rooster crowed, he is emotionally wrecked. His heart broken. He is spiritually torn apart. He needs someone to comfort him. He needs someone to give him hope. And he knows that the only person that can do that, he has just denied. What a problem. Oh, but my Jesus, your Jesus, our Jesus does something amazing. So while the degrading oaths were fresh on Peter's lips and the thrill or the shrill growing of the cock was still ringing in his ears, look what Ellen White says, the Savior turned from the frowning judges and looked full upon his poor disciple. At the same time, Peter's eyes were drawn to his masters. You can read that in Luke twenty-two sixty-one. 61, when their, their, their eyes... <laughs> connect in that gentle 
countenance. He read deep pity and sorrow. But there was no anger there. The sight of that pale, suffering face, those quivering lips, the look of compassion and forgiveness pierced his heart like an arrow. Conscience was aroused. Memory became active. A tide of memories rushed over him. The Savior's tender mercy, his kindness, his long-suffering, his gentleness, the patience towards his erring disciples. All was remembered. He recalled the caution. Simon, behold, Satan had desired to have you that he may shift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith faileth not. He reflected with the hope in his own ingratitude, his falsehood, his perjury. Once more he looked at his master and saw a sacrilegious hand raised to smite him in the face. Unable longer to endure the scene, look, look what Ellen White says, he rushed heartbroken from the hall. He pressed on in solitude and darkness. So now we can see Peter just running like in no direction. And you know where he ended up? Where did he end up? In Gethsemane. In Gethsemane. Wow, he repented. The Bible says that he repented and he made things with this, his Lord. You see, brothers and sisters, it's not about who you are. It's not about what you have. It's not even about the knowledge you have in your head. The knowledge about the Bible. It's about who you know. If you know Jesus, then you have the best leverage of all. Yeah, if you want to get out of the mess you're in, Jesus is your leverage. It's only when Jesus' eyes and your eyes meet that repentance can come about. What saved Peter was that he knew Jesus. And even more importantly, that Jesus knew Peter. Now, I don't want to get too allegorical here, but I see a very special application for the communion service. As elders and pastor, we hope to find a way to let you into the courtyard of the real high priest. Now, just like John was able to go to that girl and say, hey, let Peter in. And he went into the courtyard of the high priest. It's our desire, it's our hope as elders and pastors that we can find a way to let you into the courtyard of the real high priest, which is Jesus Christ. As your leaders, we hope to serve as leverage. You can enter into a closer relationship with Jesus. The reason we officiate the communion service is because we want to serve as leverage, as a blessing to you, that you can get closer to Jesus. But furthermore, we hope and pray that by participating today in the emblems of Christ's death, you can find leverage with Jesus Christ, who rose from the dead, defeated the grave, went to heaven to intercede for you and me, and is coming back soon to take us home. You know, brothers and sisters, we need Jesus in our lives more than ever before. I mean, we're living in a very crazy world. So a lot of craziness going around. And I know it's touched home in different ways. For some of us, this last couple of years has taken an emotional toll like 
never before. Our kids have lived in fear. We see so much going on in this world. I mean, last year they said that that was the worst wildfires in history over there in California. Now they're saying this one is going to beat last year's. But when we go to the spiritual realm, we have all been affected in some way. A lot of us have found it really hard to keep connected with Jesus. Well, today, through communion service, we want you to find a connection that's very special. Make this very significant. Because the only leverage that is going to get us out of this mess is Jesus Christ. There's no other way. Let us pray. Dear God, with our eyes closed, we want to ask you to come into our heart once again. We need you like never before, Lord Jesus. Today, as we participate in the communion service, we want to go into the courtyard of the high priest, that's Jesus Christ. But we want to find that connection, those eyes. We want through faith to see Jesus looking down on us and we looking up at him as he extends his grace once again as he embraces us with his love once again. With our eyes closed, I want to ask if anyone here wants to encounter a special connection with Jesus today, just raise your hand where you're at. And in your heart say, Jesus, come into my heart. Change my life. Make me who you want me to be. And thank you, because it's not about who I am, It's about who I know. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.